Exactly. That sounds so much worse than a sports problem. I well, thought, wait, don't don't you watch Seinfeld at all? Yes, but I, okay, so you don't know the Frogger episode? I know the Frogger. The episode. holes. I thought you did it intentionally, though, so you wouldn't have to hear me. But then I realized you wouldn't be able to hear our guest Jonathan Mayo in a couple of minutes, and right. that plan doesn't work. If, for if you there's very a way well. that you come through one ear and he comes through the other ear, you can just block then, one hey, off. If you can work that out so that. It, I can only hear Jonathan, but I can't hear Jason. Would you prefer that better? That then you don't have to listen to the things that I say. They probably could do that. They could just take it down where you don't have to listen to anything I say. And, and the, hour, you, the hour would go a lot quicker. Would you enjoy the show more if I we did it so. that way? Okay, so, so then you wouldn't have to hear ask. He's really joking. They're on the other side of the glass trying to figure out how to like take it down to do what you want, by the way. <laughs> Apologize, Jeff. There's a big fat bonus <laughs> if you can do that. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing that you didn't drive to Cleveland last night like my friend to watch the uh Why Hall would I ever, I, I don't want to offend anybody, but why would I ever drive to Cleveland for, for a football game? I'm guessing you also did not turn the game on to Well, wait, was it in Cleveland or was it in Canton? It was in Canton. Okay, well, that's different. Sorry. That's even worse. Drove to Ohio to watch the football game. Well, you know that I won't drive to Ohio for anything, right? I understand it's a challenge. Don't you have to kind of pass through it or go around it to get to Michigan at some point? Yeah, it's painful. Like, like you do Uh, take that uh, uh, Toledo's okay. But no, um, the first game of the football season did not excite you last evening? Did it happen? It did. If nobody the, the, watches, the lights it, went out happen? too. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> did, did Aaron Rodgers play? No. Okay. But apparently, he made a great call that Zach Wilson threw a touchdown on. Who cares? I just thought you'd appreciate that. No, but, this, that I, I mean, really, all... who cares? Like, did, did did well? I guess I should ask the question: Did you watch it? Of course, I did. Did you? How much of it did you watch? I had it on the background while I was doing work. Actually, I, I listened. How long did you leave it on? I listened to the. How un- much of electricity did you waste on no, that? No, so I listened to the Union game coming back. I was at a meeting, so I was driving back from Atlantic City. So I listened to the Union game, and then once the Union game ended in penalty kicks, I watched a little bit of the football game while I was doing some work. Is it really a football game? No. It, was there a single person on the field that you will see this year? They had a football and were right. on a field. Therefore, it was a game. But why? Playing football. We, I mean, like I, I actually heard that the tickets were expensive. Of course they were. It's the why? Hall of Fame game because people go out there for the Hall of Fame. Then not go to, to the, the football. But game. then go to the Hall of Fame. Don't spend a couple hundred dollars on watching a bunch of guys that might end up in the XFL next week. <laughs> Look, they, I, you could just wait and go to the XFL game for nothing. Kelly's laughing because she's not used to our in football season where I asked Jeff if you watched Thursday night. So Haley, our producer on the other side of the glass. This is a regular thing. Jeff objects to Thursday night football even existing, let alone what game is played. He does not care. He does not watch, will not watch, and just gets on me for watching. But the sad part about Thursday night football is who are the executives that thought, hey, let's take the worst games and pay a whole lot of money for them? Look, it's still working Why? for them. Why? Because How do you know it's like working for watch. Do you, do you really think that they're making money off of this? Or is it just a loss leader? Because that's that, what a lot of sports are. Because I mean, well, look, both. We, we, I, we I, can have a whole discussion on all the stupid, stupid money that's getting thrown at all of these sports organizations, including Apple, which wants to throw a bunch of money at a at a conference that will not exist next week. <laughs> it might not exist by the end of this radio show, depending on what goes on. <laughs> and we do have to talk about that later. Yeah, we're go- we're going to get into it. We'll probably have Jonathan Mayo joining us in a minute, so we don't want to go too far into the conversation with that. Well, just so you know, right now, everyone, there is a Pac-12. 
We don't know by the end of it the show. It doesn't have 12 whether, teams. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't had 12 teams for a while. It may not even have nine teams <laughs> or eight teams by the time it's done. We'll see what it ends up. You want to leave it there? You want to talk some baseball, Jeff? I would love to talk baseball with, with Jonathan Mayo, not with you. Of course, you definitely don't want to talk <laughs> with me. It's not just baseball. It's not just prospects. It's now new book author Jonathan Mayo, author of the new book, Smart, Wrong, and Lucky, Origin Stories of Baseball's Unexpected Stars. Jonathan, always good to get some time with you. Always a pleasure. All right, so before we – let's talk about the book first, then we can talk about all the craziness in baseball. What cool. what motivated you to write this book? Well, you know, from my – day-to-day job, I spend a lot of time talking to scouts, and they are fantastic storytellers, and uh, you know, they all have these great stories of guys either that they missed on. They love talking about the guys they missed on, maybe some ways more than the guys that they got right, uh, you know, later on in dress. As we all watch baseball, we know that not every player that we see starring the big league stage is a first-round pick or a huge bonus guy, and sometimes they're guys who, you know, went later in the draft and were a little underappreciated. And that, uh, that was kind of the impetus for the book. It kind of started, this was during uh, pandemic times. And I was talking to a, a scout who had drafted Charlie Blackman out of high school as a pitcher and uh, sort of went from there. And he, you know, knew lots of other people's stories. And I, I did a, like an oral history on, how the Rockies scouted and signed Charlie Blackman. And that ended up being turned into one of the chapters of the book. And I kind of just ran with it from there. And there are countless numbers of stories like these around baseball. Scouts are so important to the game, but with all the analytics that goes on, and you do hear in organizations how they don't seem to, in some organizations don't seem to value scouts the way that they did. How important when you were looking at this and through your career, talking to scouts, how important are scouts to actually finding the right talent, finding all of those people that aren't in the first round? You know, I think you need them for the players who are, who are in the first round. But, you know, one of the things with the later round picks is that a lot of times because of personal relationships that the scouts have built with the player to, to understand a little bit more about what makes them tick and, you know, gives them a better chance of maybe exceeding expectations. That's invaluable and there's no analytic for that. And, you know, I think, you know, all these guys were far too humble and, and modest and have been humbled by the game too much that, you know, the, the scouts who were involved in Jacob deGrom joining the Mets, like none of them knew he was going to throw 100 miles an hour and be the best pitcher on earth, you know, for a number of years. So uh, the, that's where the luck comes into to play. But some it's the relationship, it's seeing with your own eyes. You know, I, I think there there has to be a place in the game for – both sides of that coin. It shouldn't even be on other sides of the of the coin. I think the teams that do it right, the departments that do it right, they combine all the data and the analytics. So that's good information. But if you rely on that alone and aren't seeing how a player carries himself or feel for a, for the game or understanding what makes them tick, uh, then you know you're you're drafting just based on um, stuff on paper. And those guys don't always, you know, know what it takes or have what it takes to make it through that slog to the big leagues. 
were there common traits between some of these players that led to them having the success they had but being overlooked? And also, were there common traits with the teams with what they were looking for that led to this happening? Not so much with the teams, because I think you could probably find examples of this everywhere. Um, if I think if there was going to be one trait, and, and it may paint with a little bit too broad of a brush, but I think a lot of them had that little chip on their shoulder, uh, something to prove kind of mentality. Uh, you know, either they weren't highly recruited, uh, you know, out of out of high school to to go to a bigger college, or they didn't throw super hard. You know, or they were overlooked. They weren't the biggest people in the world. Whatever the reason, I think they all entered pro ball wanting to prove that they were better than what their draft status, you know, implied. And if, if I'm going to try to make, you know, pull one thread through all the stories. You know, I was down at Bowie a couple of weeks ago, saw the Bowie Bay Sox, and, and was marveling at the amount of talent that is coming up through an organization like the Orioles right now. Mm-hmm. Is there something about the Orioles organization, and is there something in general about certain organizations that are able to develop talent that separates them from, from the teams that can't, or is it, is it a lot of just dumb luck? I don't know about dumb luck, but you know, I think it, it's it can be a little cyclical, and I think it's very, very hard to win and have that kind of farm system at the same time. You know, the Los Angeles Dodgers have been able to do it. Um, they obviously can spend more money than a lot of franchises at the big league level, uh, but they've been very good at uh, evaluating and scouting and then developing talent. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays are kind of you know the the, the other end of the spectrum because they're such a small market, uh, but they have an amazing ability to continue to generate uh, big league talent. And they're really, really good at finding, like if they make a trade where, you know, they're bringing in a big leaguer to help them in the playoff stretch, they will also find some low level, you know, guy in the Dominican summer league who turns into an all-star caliber player. Our joke always is that, if, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays call and ask about some guy in your, in your on your Florida Complex League team. You should hang up the phone uh, because they just you know they always seem to find talent. So I you know th- those teams tend to do it tend to do it uh, you know really well. But uh, I, I think that uh, you know with the Orioles, we'll see you know what transpires as they start to compete more and more. Uh, they've been you know this year trade deadline they they didn't blow anything up. I mean they they traded some some talent away to get Jack Flaherty, but not anybody from the very, very top of the organization. Uh, So they did well to do that. And and the hope is that you can maintain it uh, because I think you need to try to do both. Uh, If you can, it's just really hard to do both at the same time. You know, you talk about hanging up if Tampa's calls looking for one of your young guys. I'm wondering how the new rules, I know it's a small sample size, will change. It seems like the new rules kind of favor speed and contact. How is that going to impact scouting and the types of players that they're looking for as opposed to the launch angle and things like that? Well, you know, the one good thing about launch angle is that if you hit the ball over the fence, it doesn't matter where the defenders are playing. (laughs) Um, And I understand that with this shift, you know, that there was even, you know, that played a part in wanting to teach that more because that's how you beat a shift. 
Um, I would have loved to see occasionally somebody lay a bunt down the third baseline or something like that, but that's Amen. a conversation for, yeah, for, <laughs> for another time. Uh, you know, again, I think like, like with a lot of things we're talking about, it does go in cycles. Uh, the, the chain back means that probably you're right. The, the ability to hit the ability to, you know, to, to run, take the extra base. I think those things will regain some importance. I think it was starting to happen a little bit as teams were recognizing that there was more than one recipe for success. Uh, you know, it hasn't worked for them this year, but the Cleveland Guardians have valued contact guys for the last several years in the draft and their acquisition and guys they bring up to the big leagues. They made it to the playoffs last year. Now, this year it's been tough. They, you know, they've had trouble scoring runs, so you know, I don't know how you need to, a few guys can drive the ball and and drive in three at one time and things like that. But you know, I do think that it it will shift, and you will need people who can do the the little things. Uh, but the data will always figure into it, right? You know, if you hit the ball hard, you know, I think exit velocity is a tremendous tool. It's not the be all end all, but invariably if you are not hitting the ball hard regularly even if you're finding success on the stat sheet that's not sustainable and if you're supposedly struggling but you are consistently really hitting the ball hard that's going to change as well so i think that's where that sort of marriage between good old-fashioned eyeball evaluation and using the analytics is really the way you need to do it for sustained success. In researching your book, you know, we talked about how you've talked to scouts and players and coaches. Was there any common thread that you saw with regard to these the players that, that went through the system that really weren't the people that were eyed right out of high school, of having a coach, somebody that was the key to their development in the minor leagues? Uh, I did not focus on development in this. That uh, that would have to be a sequel, I think. It's just you know, there's only so many stories I could tell because obviously all these guys worked incredibly hard to get to where they were. You know, Jacob Degrom was throwing 88 to 90 miles an hour when when he was drafted by the New York Mets, and then blew out his elbow that summer and had Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until you know like another full year that they were getting reports in the lower levels of a uh, of the minors that he was throwing 98. So clearly during his rehab, when he was coming, you know, rehabbing his elbow, he really got to work in terms of the strength and conditioning, his lower half and things like that. And that enabled him to turn into to the pitcher he was today. So I didn't have the, the, the time. You know, I work on the Internet usually where there's an infinite amount of space, right? But in a book, you know, you can't write 4,000 pages. So I, I chose to really focus on the, the sort of the front end of that, of that journey uh, and not the, the back end of how they went from 17th round pick to, to all-star. You mentioned Charlie Blackman. Uh, obviously, Lorenzo Cain has a chapter. Was there a, a story that, that kind of stood out to you among all of these that just was like, oh, wow? I, I hate answering this question. It's like asking me which kid I like the best of my children. But <laughs> you're wait, welcome. How, but, wait, you know, before you answer that question, how which many kids kid, do you yeah. have? <laughs> I have, I have, I have two. And which one's your favorite? So, <laughs> yeah, just in the off chance one of them's listening, I'm not going right. to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fall for that. I, uh, you know, each story I think is really, really interesting. I think if I were to pick one, to me that was the most, we'll say outrageous. Uh, was Lorenzo Cain, 
Uh, and I, and I even say in the book, like that it sounds like a Disney movie. Um, like one of these feel good sports movies that they make. He did not play an inning of baseball in his life until his sophomore year of high school. Like not anything, not little league, not T-ball, not a thing. Uh, it happened that he, he went out for the baseball team because he got cut from the basketball team and they were desperate for a JV player or they would have had to cancel the JV season. And his first practice, he went out, had no equipment, borrowed a, you know, some crappy plastic glove out of the lost and found bin and put it on his wrong hand because he didn't know how to play. And like you watch a kid who doesn't know how to play, but you know, you're right-handed. The temptation, the inclination is, oh, I'm going to put my glove on my dominant hand. So once he figured that out, uh, he played on his JV team. And two years later, the Brewers drafted him. Two years. Um, how, he how, wasn't how, did they, how did they discover him at that point? So the Brewers, uh, the, the high school that Kane went to had another interesting prospect named um, Jeremy Haynes. He was a solid pitching prospect. Uh, so he was already on the area scouts radar. He, this was in the panhandle in Florida. And, you know, it's not so easy to get to. And, you know, uh, Florida scouts have a lot of talent and a lot of ground to cover. And sometimes they don't always get up there. But he didn't really play that often until his senior year, you know, of varsity. But um, because the, the area scout had a good relationship with the, the coach, um, he was having the, the uh, Jeremy Haynes was going to play on this uh, sort of showcase team that they put together. It's called Diamond Club. They do it every year uh, in sort of in South Florida. And he, they were going to have like a workout practice. And the coach said, hey, do you mind looking at this kid, Lorenzo? You know, he's not, he's not like draft worthy or anything like that, but there's, there's something there. He'd already started to make progress. And the scout liked what he saw enough to bring him to the showcase. Uh, I'm surprised no one else really saw him because he performed decently there. But, you know, there were a lot of there's a lot of talent at this thing. So he just slipped under the radar and was so raw. Um, and back then they had you know, what was called the draft and follow where a team could draft a player and then send him off to junior college and not have to make a decision until the following May. You often with pitchers. Um, you know, let's see if they make that next step forward, but you know, tougher competition. He almost got benched in junior college because he was playing so poorly. And then it started to click and he was the best player in the conference by the end. And the Brewers signed him for $95,000 and they went out and then won the rookie level Arizona complex league MVP honors that summer. And the rest is history. You know, we had talked to you last spring training, not this one. And one of the things that you were excited to go see with the Phillies was, Rojas what did what did and you talked about we hadn't heard him at that point and, and you were talking mm-hmm. about going down and he had these five tools and everybody got all excited about it so now he's at the major league level what what, what did you see then and what do you see now in Rojas so silky in the outfield oh my god yeah I mean that's it and then and five tools may be a little kind because I'm not a hundred percent sure about the power tool right. um I think they kept thinking it was going to come and look he's still so young that's a crazy thing I feel like I've been you know, at the time that we talked about him, he'd been on my radar for a while. It's sort of like, oh, keep an eye out for a guy because, you know, that kind of speed doesn't grow on trees. And that, along with the instincts he has in the outfield, and he's a gold, good glove caliber out center fielder right now. And he was a year ago. He was two years ago. It's just a question of uh, him adding enough strength to impact the ball 
So he can, you know, even if he's not a home run guy, you know, he can't just hit flares the other way all the time. That's not going to work in the big leagues. They're going to knock the bat out of your hand. And well, unless I you're think Ben that, Revere. <laughs> okay. Um, sure, Juan Pierre, you know, right. I mean, but they're, they're, they're guys who've done it. And again, the return you know, to the no shift, you know, more value placed on that sort of thing probably means that even if Johan Rojas doesn't start driving the ball, there will be a place for him maybe more so than it was five years ago. I think he would have made it anyway, but it's, you know, it's going to be more a question of, is he going to be like a number two hitter? Is there that a lot more power to unlock? Is he even more of like a number three hitter or is he a number eight or nine hitter? Uh, and I think that that's, you know, I think he's going to run and he's going to play defense enough to play every day in the big leagues. And then it's really just a question of uh, his ability to impact the baseball at the plate will determine his total value. Any piece that's part of the equation that lets Schwarber DH more and not stand out in left field is a good piece to me. Uh, oh, leave, leave poor Kyle alone. He tries hard. I, I believe me. We... Were you watching? Okay, so I now I'm going to ask this because this has been driving me nuts. I have no question that 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 he tries hard, but they he didn't get to a couple balls in a game, and the announcer spent 15 minutes talking about how hard he tries. It, it's, <laughs> it's, I don't know if that's why you were saying that or if it's no, I I didn't I didn't see that. I I mean I've known I've known Kyle since he was a prospect and his makeup is just off the charts. Yeah, I mean, the, this is a guy who I mean he has willed himself. I mean, he, he he can really hit right, but he you know he, he will do anything to help a team win, and it's not for lack of effort that he's not a good. Yeah, and I think I think most people, even in the city, appreciate how hard he tries. But there's a point at which you can try as hard as you want if you can't get to a ball. You know, you you shouldn't be playing in the outfield. I agree with that. The problems, you know, there there weren't really viable options. Well, yeah, and we keep reminding ourselves like that wasn't the plan originally. Bryce Harper would be out there. He wouldn't, you know, and so everything kind of changed. I I did want to ask though, with Rojas coming up. Um, you know, Abel's, you know, or um, uh, the injury that we had this year Painter. to, to Painter. Uh, where does the Phillies farm system stand? Griff McGarry was moved up to AAA today. Uh, what's yeah. your take on what we're seeing around here? Are they getting it more right now? Um, oh, I don't like that pause. I'll give it an incomplete. I like that they were aggressive. You know, they've been an aggressive in the draft, taking sort of high end high school guys. You know, based on where they, you know, where they pick. I think you know Andrew Painter's going to be really good. You know, unfortunately, this is the the main risk. Any kind of pitcher, high school or college, is that they break down. Um, but I think he'll he'll come back to being the you know arguably the best pitching prospect in baseball. Um, there's there's some interesting guys. Um, you know, it's just a question of what they end up being like. Mick Abel, the stuff is unbelievable, and the command has not been great. And you know, he hasn't gotten there, but he's also, as someone pointed out to me just actually yesterday, because we're working on re-ranking the list, this would have been his draft year had he gone to college, and he's in double A. So anytime, I, it's good to be reminded of that. Um, you know, Justin Crawford, great speed, good defender, again, he hits the ball on the ground a lot. He needs to learn how to drive the ball. He's starting to learn that, and he's very, very young. So it's like a really interesting top of, of, of the list in terms of the prospects, but they all have now some kind of question mark where there aren't any of them you can point to and be like, that's going to be 
a guy, a star, once he gets to the big leagues. You know, which is why I paused. You you talk about in your book about all these these guys, especially the ones that didn't look like they were going to be stars from the time they got to the minor leagues. To me, it seems that organizations, the organizations that are patient, are the ones that are rewarded. The reason I I bring that up is because we for years had Mickey Moniak and and people were not patient with him. And now we're starting to say, who knows if he'll be a star necessarily, but we're at least seeing he's only 25 years old and he seems to now be thriving in California. Have you did you notice that or did when you talk to the players and coaches and scouts was there was there this concept of patience? Well, I mean, listen, in a perfect world you you try to be patient, but you, you, this is a results-oriented business, so you, you need to win games and you need to get players to the big leagues or that are, you know, good trade chips um, to, you know, to help you win games. And sometimes guys just need a change of scenery. Yeah, it does take some certain guys longer than others. Um, Blake Rutherford just got called up to the big leagues. He's 26. It's the first time he was called up to the big leagues. Another high school, uh, same draft as Mickey Moniak. Heading into that year, some people thought Rutherford was was better, and he's in his third with his third organization. So it, it it's impossible to predict that. Could you say yes? You should be more patient with him. But you know what happens sometimes with a guy like Mickey Monia because you know he's stuck in AAA for three years, and it just there's it becomes static, and there's no place to send him or move him to, and you know. So sometimes you just have to, you know, have that change of scenery. And listen, they traded Mickey Moniak, and the piece they got back helped the Phillies make it to the World Series. So um, sure, it may be painful for Phillies fans to look at what Moniak is doing now, but it, that happens all the time. I think you just have to tip your cap and say, well, thank you for bringing us Brandon Marsh. The new book is Smart, Wrong, and Lucky, The Origin Stories of Baseball's Unexpected Stars. Jonathan, always good to get some time with you. Look forward to, I would say I'm looking forward to your updated rankings, but that pause gives me pause to say I'm looking forward to it. But we'll definitely look at your upcoming rankings that come out. And uh, it's, all, it's always interesting, and I will promise there's lots of new interesting names coming on the Phillies list. We'll be looking forward to it. Can't wait to talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Right. Thanks, guys. Pauses, Jeff. Why do people pause? All right, so I'm just going to remind people. Mickey Moniak is only 25 years old. Okay, you're making the Moniak case. Yeah, yeah. It's and only because O'Hoppy's still injured. No, well, <laughs> otherwise, no, otherwise I'd be making his that. Case. <laughs> he, he's been up about 209 times. He's got a 311 batting average, 11 home runs, 35 RBIs, and an 897 OPS. I know. I get text messages from lots of our old critics. Yeah. Pointing saying out saying what we're, we're right now. No, or? no, no. I will never get a we're oh, right. Okay. I will get an acknowledgement of that he is producing now, but I will never. That's just not in the DNA. Well, you of extrapolate that over a whole season. He's got 33 home runs, 105 RBIs, and. And look, he's playing on a team, the Angels, that are trying to go for it, and he's got like the best player out there in Shohei, who leaves the game because he's got pitching cramps, only to come out and hit another home run. So so I have a question about that. This is this is a medical question, I guess. Okay, so because I take care of my body so well, this will this will definitely work out. I limped in here with my leg, and I can't. I don't understand the the whole Otani 
hand cramping thing. So if you can't grip the baseball enough that you How have you to grip lead, the lead exactly. And and he apparently was able a, a bat is for all for all that may not know this, a bat is smaller in circumference than a ball. Than a ball. <laughs> so it would be harder to grip it if you were having grip problems Welcome cramping. Welcome to science with Jeff Cohen <laughs> on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> what, what was that there there used to be like a show where they would do, they would do these things. But he stayed in the game and somehow batted Two for two. Yeah. <laughs> Walk twice. Because he's insane. He's so good. And, and he's definitely going to get... The question is, does he get $600 million? Like, that's really only the question at this point. And so... Who's, but who's going to pay that? Okay. Steve Cohen. <clears throat> he just dumped $150 million right. of right. bad uh, salary. So, so is the Mets supporter here. Let me, let me explain something to you. I always you, feel bad for you when you, you admit that, by the you, way. It's okay. It's a child, it was a childhood thing. <laughs> so... so, so you have sure. a bet, by the way, about this well, that can, we have to discuss. No, that's a Texas Rangers. A Texas bet. Rangers. Yeah. Okay, so, that so, has to be discussed too before yes. we get the break. So, so Scherzer and Verlander, yes. two of the best pitchers of our generation. Yes. Both got traded. Yes. Before they got traded, they had meetings supposedly with Steve Cohen, where he said he can't commit that 2024 is going to be a year to compete. Right. Yes. That's what that's what the reports were. Twenty five, twenty six. Okay, so if that's the word that got out and led two of your best pitchers to leave. Why is Shohei Otani, no matter how much money they throw at him, going to come to New York when he knows at least next year it isn't going to work? And by the way, he knows that an organization just spent more money than any in history and didn't make the playoffs when last year they had over 100 wins. You just saw, if you watched the game last night, Shohei Otani had tears in his eyes. When he lost, it pains him to lose. I don't think he's going anywhere that he doesn't think he can win in 2024. Do you think he stays with Anaheim? Again, I just said he's not going to go anywhere where he doesn't think he can win a World Series in 2024. The Angels are not winning a World Series in Angel in 2024. And if you want me to make the same bet with you on the Angels that I made 37 years ago on the Texas Rangers, I'm willing to do it right, right. now. Since I'm going to run out of time before I talk to the Phillies at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. not that I would ever want to cut Jonathan Mayo short. Mm-hmm. But you have like a long-standing bet that is yes. impacted by this trade deadline. It's a bit that I, I admit I was kind of stupid to make. But So yeah. explain this bet because I couldn't stop laughing when you initially explained it to me. Well, remember. I Quickly, was, the brief version for our the, listeners. The brief version is that the Texas Rangers would not win the World Series in my lifetime. In your lifetime which is means, the key word which of means, that statement, correct? Which, yes, which means that I have to actually pass away to win. Yes. So the only way that yes, I can Haley, get the, the prize... Haley's face behind the glass is was my exact reaction when he told me about this deal. And there is there is there is a prize to this. Yes. Among so the prize goes, for the dead goes, man, you could get a prize. Goes goes to my son <laughs> if I happen to win. But I will tell you that the second the Rangers made both of those trades, you got the person question. I had the bet with told me that he was out of the particular expensive scotch that is the the subject of the bet. <laughs> <laughs> now, does Alex get expensive scotch? If if you yes, he he, he gets it. Well, I only get. I don't ever. I can never actually. I won't be able to grip. Which it. is How's okay. That? Here's the, the thing. Zero, tiny you are point. a. I hate I to like cost you business on the air, yeah. but you're a lawyer who literally negotiates contracts. To be fair, how did pr- you negotiate this deal for yourself? No, to be fair, 
to be fair, I was a pre-med student at the time. <laughs> so much sense. And I had probably drank half a bottle of the very exp- the cheap scotch that we happened to have in our dorm room. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, let's stop laughing there. We'll come back. We could talk more Phillies. We could talk uh, soccer, whatever else is going on. Oh, oh NCAA realignment. Oh, we could talk that. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELAC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELAC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Keep the, bas- the baseball talk going for a few minutes before we get to everything else. Phillies are 59 and 50. They hold the second wild card spot up a game uh, from the third place spot. Uh, their last 13 games have been decided by three runs or less. My anxiety feels all of those games. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was saying before, there have been a couple nights where you haven't been able to watch the game live. Mm-hmm. And so I have been texting you during my angst as things would and occur I ignore it. during yes. the game, and you ignore it until uh-huh. the next morning Correct. when you look at the box score and you're yeah. like, but they won. What are you complaining exactly. about? Exactly. So you tell me your confidence level for these Phillies teams that we're seeing right now. Uh, I don't have much confidence for this team. Uh, it, again, what is the confidence you're asking me for, whether they're going to make the playoffs or when, whether or not they got another World Series run in them? I don't know. Every time I tell you about the base running blunders and the mistakes, you know, the other day I'm watching the game with the boys. I've got a six-year-old and three-year-old. Mm-hmm. Trey Turner. Teaching them to curse, huh? Well, Turner and Soto yeah. can't speak to each other and figure right. out who's going to catch a fly ball. And my six-year-old goes, why did he drop the ball? And I, I use it as a teaching moment. Wait, I said, what do you mean they can't speak to each other? You don't have to know one language or the other to yell, no, I no. got it. They were both saying, I got it, and they didn't listen to each other. You could see it clearly on There's the screen. There's only one person's fault, that is. The third baseman, right? The, you mean the shortstop. The shortstop. Third, he's yeah. supposed to back off. The center fielder. I mean, they teach you this in Little League. Okay. Every, every team that I ever coached, the center fielder is taught, you're in charge. You're in front of the ball. You're behind the ball. You're coming towards it. You have the easiest catch to make. You can see everybody else. You better have a loud enough voice that you can yell, I got it, and everybody else, get out of the way. Yeah, that did and, not and occur. If, and, and if the center fielder doesn't catch it, it's on him. That did not like, occur. But as long as he dropped. says, I got it. Yeah, but the Phillies make those mistakes all the time. They, then why do you get on me when I text you about it? Because I don't want to get aggravated by it. Oh, okay. I, if, if, I, if I know something is going to happen all the time, why am I going to get aggravated at what's predictable? You're the least fun to watch a game with. You like lower your expectations so low. You're like, no, no just, they're going to leave the bases loaded I'm just in every inning and not score. I'm a well-adjusted fan who's not going to pull my hair out. <laughs> Semi-well-adjusted fan. Okay. I mean, they, they, their fundamentals are, are, they are not Tim Duncan of baseball. That's for sure. They are not the big fundamental. They're base running. They run into more outs. But they try hard. Oh, you know, I, I, when when it was when great he, that he said, said that, that about Schwarber, I uh, thought you were going to jump through the mic at see, him. If you're not friendly with him, that wouldn't have gone well. The, 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 the fact is that I don't yell at the TV very often. I yelled at the TV over Schwarber. Uh, yes, because we know he's nobody, up to 180, Jeff. His, his why are you so hard on because him? his character is not in question. It's his ability that's in question. Okay, so and he, there's only you can try as hard as you want. If you're slow, you can't you can't get to a ball. It's that's and that's what happens time and time again. 
him diving for it and going, yay, we're close. <laughs> this is not horseshoes. We don't, nobody's getting a participation gold glove. Okay. Okay. You, so, you actually have to play well. So what would you do tonight? You're not a, a boo guy. Like no. that's not, no, I don't believe in booing. That's your not own. your thing. No. Haley on the other side of the glass is not a stand up and cheer for somebody who's struggling and has not had success all year. Oh, you mean like Markel Fultz? What would is, you, is that what we're talking about? It's worked so well when we and did it that. worked with Ben Simmons too. What would you do if you were at the game tonight? Because he's really struggling, but he's here for ten years. He's going nowhere. So do yeah. you pile on? Because clearly they're not sitting him. Right. They're just well, kind of well, they, moving him down in the lineup, hiding him a little bit, yeah, hoping what, it works What comes out. after nine? <laughs> nine and a half? Like, like we, we've gone in one week from him, what, batting second? Two to seven to nine. Uh, hold on. So so it was batting seven It was batting second, and then the coach said, do you want to sit for a night? No, coach, no. I'm good. Oh for 4. Then, you You're know gonna what? Sit there. You're going to sit for a whole night. One whole night, and that's going to fix you. And that didn't work. And then we'll bat you seven. That didn't work. Now we'll put you at eight. That's going to work. He's still paying him $300 million. That's not changing. He clearly has the ability. The, the, the question is, is this another Markel Fultz? We, you hear about athletes all the time where it gets in their head. The Mackie Sassers who couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher. What was it? Steve Sachs who couldn't throw the ball from second base. Chuck Knobloch had yeah, it for a yeah. while. Was it, well, didn't Steve Sachs have it? Yeah. Maybe not. Um it was definitely Knobloch at it. I'm not saying that he's he's had deficiencies like that, but it clearly it's in his head. The fact is he hears it all the booze all the time. He says it. He which, says it when the postgame interviews. I mean Which they, which he's gotta stop that. Like like, dude, go see like a, a sports psychologist. They are not gonna tell you to sit there and listen to the booze and start keep acknowledging that, yeah, they have every way to boo. Yeah, we know it. We we can boo whenever we want to, if we want to. You don't have to listen to it though. You don't have to sit there and acknowledge it. You just don't have to be a jerk about it. And yet, you have to have confidence. When no you matter play. how we feel, mm-hmm. this team's thirty-three and eighteen since June third, behind only the Braves. Okay, and their ERA for starters is the best in baseball at three point two one, giving up the second lowest opponent's batting average at two twenty-eight. So we all feel this way about this team watching well, this game. Here, you want me to give you good news? Yeah. Okay. So I love good. News. Okay. So. The Braves are going. They're walking away with. Of course, right? Okay, yeah. they're. I don't even look at the, divi- away at the division standings. The, the, the Braves have are, have are eight games ahead of the Dodgers. They're 11, 12 games ahead of the Phillies. Okay, so they're winning the division. They're likely going to be the number one seed. But then, if you go to the wild card standings, let's assume that it ended today, right? Phillies in second. The Braves right? and the Dodgers are going to be the ones that are going to get the buys. Your first round opponents are either going to be the Brewers. Are you terrified of them? They have good pitching, but are you terrified of them? No. The Giants? Anybody terrified of Gabe Kapler and the crew? No. Reds? You terrified of the Reds? No. Just De La Cruz. Huh? Just De La Cruz. Okay, well, okay, then pitch around them if you really want. Well, that's what you have to do. Oh, it's okay. And the, possibly the Marlins? You afraid of them after this weekend? They no. should have won all four. Diamondbacks? You terrified? No, they've been slumping. Those are your opponents. Those are your potential opponents in a first round. So then the question is, if you, if you get past the first round, can you, you pray you don't get the Braves. If you get the Braves, you're done. If you get the Dodgers, you move on potentially to an NLCS. 
But they're not winning the World Series this year, not with this team. I don't care about your amazing six-man rotation now. It's not happening. You're not getting past the Braves, and I hate to tell you, you're not beating the Rangers, and you're not beating the Astros. Well, and I had something the other night in the Marlins game, Kimbrel's tipping his pitches. That inning. Oh, okay. Yes. He's, not only is he tipping his pitches, he apparently knows it and isn't yes. doing anything about it. He intentionally balked the guy to move him out of the way because he knew he's tipping it. He, by the way, have you ever seen an intentional balk? Not In your since entire I've seen life. Craig Kimbrell on the field. He, he literally dropped the ball on purpose with a guy on second. Now, granted, that run didn't matter because they were up by two. But he literally dropped the ball on purpose to send the guy to third because he knew that whoever was second was going to be sending the hitter the signs. You know what run did matter, though? What? The one where Trey Turner didn't even look at second base on the double play okay, that would have stopped no, the run but, 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 See, you're diverting from the issue. Sorry. The issue is we divert. have a veteran pitcher who, instead of fixing the problem, decided to find a workaround. Which, which is work. not which. Exactly. It didn't work. So what is the manager doing? You know, we talked about errors earlier. We talked about guys not communicating on pop-ups earlier. Those are things that are solely on the manager. The manager cannot tolerate that. You can't. I don't care what Kimbrell's done in his career. I don't care how many saves he's had. I don't care how decorated he is and then he might be in the Hall of Fame. The fact is, if you have a guy doing what he did, and you as a manager aren't pulling him aside afterwards and gently saying to him, Craig, fix the problem. Don't embarrass the game. You could see the runner on second was rubbing his chest. Was I mean, it was so blatant. Everybody was pointing it yes. out in the booth. It was, it, it, and he was doing nothing to fix nothing. it. And you sat there watching. Was it Guriel was telling every player, which, which how appropriate was it? that a former one of the Astros cheating gang was the one sitting <laughs> was, there blatantly telling everybody the how to steal the signs. I don't remember whether it was a radio call or the TV call was saying, remember, he used to play for the the Astros. They're good at figuring these things out. <laughs> <laughs> they had everything except they didn't need the garbage can. No. Because Kimbrell was so obvious about it that it, what they were doing was perfectly legal. I guess they were looking at how he was positioning his hand in the glove and then signaling it. Do you know or, how easy that is to fix? That's what I didn't understand. There was yeah. no attempt to fix it. There was nobody to go out there and say, instead of giving free bases... Yeah, hook, there was, but, but see, this, this obviously was known before the game. That's my biggest problem. If this was something that during that outing they actually had noticed, then afterwards, okay. I get it. Kimbrell knew before he threw the first pitch yeah. that it was an issue, and he decided to do the intentional balk. Yes. He literally created a new pitch. Drove the intentional nuts. balk. Drove me nuts. And that's the problem. A manager should never send somebody out there knowing that they're unwilling to do what it takes to fix the problem. Talk about fixing problems. The NCAA has come up with a fix for their problems. What's the what's the fix? Get rid of all the rivalries and conferences and just put everybody in one place. Well, that's not the NCAA. How is that the NCAA's fault? Well, sorry, these conferences are doing it. By the time we yeah. get off this call, the Big 12 may be the Big 13. Let's check the, now. The has big, anybody switched? The Big 10 is up to the Big 18 almost at this point. Looks like they're going to end up no, they're at Oregon. No, they're at 16. And, what are you talking But about? they're going to get Oregon no, and Washington. No, they're exploring. You know, there's a problem with this. This is what people don't understand. It's it's not that, like, the Big Ten can't just take two new teams because the problem is they have certain media rights deals because that's who controls all of this. I had seen that the Big Ten, 
decided that they voted to offer yeah. formal letters to Oregon and Washington, and then Oregon and Washington informed Pac-12 president earlier today that they plan oh, to accept. It. Okay, well then, then they figured it out because the problem is is that as you add more teams, you have to have more figure games. Out the revenues and and no, you, well, no, the, the revenue the will be figured. Out. They need they need another media partner. Yeah, because whoever that next media partner is gets the crappiest game. Well, maybe it'll be the media partner that thought they were going to get the Pac-12. Because there may not be anything left of the Pac-12 by the time this okay, is done. Because so, so, now Arizona and Utah are potentially looking at going to the Big 12. Arizona... And Arizona State. Because it, because this is the other problem with public universities. Arizona and Arizona State are, are controlled, I think, by the same trustees. So I so don't know if don't that's... they don't want to leave together. J- just like you had the issue that they didn't... UCLA and Cal didn't want... Th- that was an issue when UCLA was leaving. I don't know if that's the, the case in all states. Because no, it is no Arizona and Arizona State. They have expressed that they want both of them going together. Because Oregon, basically, to play Oregon State will be a non-conference game to travel fifty miles. Mm -hmm. But to play a conference game against Rutgers and Piscataway will be twenty nine hundred miles, because they won't be in the same conference anymore. And so you're going to see. Do you realize Apple TV was the final nail in that coffin? Yeah, because they didn't want to go They they offered them an an insultingly low amount of money because why would you offer what Is it Apple TV? Didn't the Pac-12 have the chance to get other teams a couple years ago and decided that they didn't want to do it? Everybody had to. uh, Texas and LSU. Here's the biggest problem for the Pac-12. Their last commissioner seemed to trust. Remember there was the alliance, and the alliance was the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and I think was the Big 12 in it was Mm -hmm. the third team. And it was kind of like, hey, we won't poach each other. And then the Big Ten said, okay, we're going to take the, your two biggest prizes. And, and, and somehow the Big 12 took a 1 in 11 school, and that seemed to shake up everything even more. I think that was a comment. I think that was a comment from one of the coaches that's still in the conference. Like, tell me what they've won. (laughs) Yeah. But, but what, what, what you learn about this is it's not all about football. For no, it's big, basketball for, for the, the Big 12. The Big 12 has made a decision. You know, when you look at the teams in the Big 12 for football, you don't go, wow, these are the powerhouses. But when you look at basketball, and it just never – when you think of who's the best basketball conference in the country, you immediately think ACC because it's got Duke and North Carolina. Or you think, think Big 10 because it's got Michigan and Indiana and Illinois and – you, or SEC, you don't think Big, Big 12, 12, but Big 12 for a long time now has been the best overall conference in basketball. Yeah. And so they will benefit from this. But what happens now? What happens to the school? Let's say Oregon and Washington go to the Big 10. And then let's say Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah, because they always talk about the four corner schools going together. You, It's not like you, Oregon State, nobody's going to care. Unfortunately for them, nobody's going to care. Washington State, nobody's going to care. I don't know where they're going to end up, what, the Mountain West or something like that. But there are still a couple big schools out there. Stanford. 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 Now, granted, they don't win a lot, but Stanford as a school is a cachet name. I was surprised Even the Big Ten, Cal did, I was surprised the big Ten didn't, didn't try for Stanford and, the big, and uh, Cal. Just to, because the Big Ten likes to boast their academics along with their athletics. Yeah, and but Stanford the, and Cal but, would but fit But the other thing about the Big Ten is, the Big Ten was holding out for ACC schools. Yes, the which big, Florida State is now. Yeah, well, they're, they're just trying ridiculous. to decide what they want to do. The, the, but that's not who they wanted. The Big Ten wanted Virginia and North Carolina. 
Those are the two because the Big Ten actually does have also different standards. When they bring these schools in, as much as it is about sports, it's also about their academic program. So that that's important to them, and Virginia and North Carolina fit within the continued mold of that. And it would have made a lot of sense for them. Florida State complaining and now saying that they're going to go out and find money elsewhere. Okay, go complain. Where are you going to go? That's Do you want to go to the SEC? Go I, ahead. I don't see what conference. Do you know how much money they, they have to pay to get out of that contract? Yeah, that ain't happening. And, do you, and, and you know what their big beef is? They signed a really good media rights deal, or what they thought was a at media the time, rights deal. which is not. At, what, 2016, but it's a 20-year deal. Which is worth nothing now. Right, and to. so now they're complaining, hey, guess what? You had to vote for this, and you voted yes. Yeah, they're saying we need to make up revenues that we're not getting because we're not in a conference that's getting more media rights. I did want to ask, you had the gambling dichotomy in college football once again this week. Mm-hmm. As Iowa investigators uh, are looking at the quarterback for the Cyclones for betting on his mother's mobile phone, the kicker for the Iowa Hawkeyes betting on his mother's mobile phone, LSU has decided that they were released injury reports so that people are more informed and transparent when they make their bets. I don't know how you can, though. Like, th- there, there's a part of this well, that people don't doing, understand. The way they're doing it is they're doing it like hockey. They're saying lower, lower body, body injury, upper, body upper injury. questionable. They'll do it earlier in the week so that the line can be dictated by it. But that is the reason they're putting out that information at the same time as they're having all of these gambling problems with their student athletes that they're uncovering. It's just the dichotomy of this conversation where you have enforcement on one side and engagement and immersion on the other side. There's a complete disconnect going on. And you know, you did and you I, not see this coming? You everybody saw this coming. Yeah. But where does it go to stop it? You can't. You cannot stop this train. The train has left the station, and part of the reason is because of the owners and the administrators. It is not because of the students. The students are expected to follow the rules, but everybody that implemented and let the, let the, the fox in the hen house, they don't have a problem with it. And the, you, could, you go to the NFL, and what's the problem? The players aren't allowed to place a simple bet, but the owners are allowed to own Portions of those gambling organizations, correct? Yeah. While the gambling ads play throughout the game and are all right. over the, the field. So why, it, if I'm a player, yes, I, I want to make sure that there is still an integrity of the game. And I'm, I'm hoping and believing that most of the players still believe that even with the bets they're placing, they're not damaging the integrity of the game. Well, but tw- why is the integrity of the game not impacted by the big signs on the scoreboards that people are paying a million dollars plus for? One, one. One of the bets was placed on a game that he was playing in at Iowa State, the quarterback. The kicker placed bets on games that he was playing in. Did he miss a kick? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. But these aren't... I bet you the investigators will know. You know, it's it's not just colleges investigating, though. These are like law enforcement investigations. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is going to be even bigger than just a sanction to a school. And it's not like we talk about the two Iowa schools now because that seems to be the most advanced investigations going on everywhere. This isn't like a one-off. We've talked about it a lot. Even this week, you saw the NFL do another suspension to to the Broncos defensive lineman. He was suspended indefinitely for betting on games in 2022. And did Sean Payton give him as hard a time as he gave Packett? 
Were you surprised by the little crossfire? I mean, isn't that against the coaches' I know code? people want to sit there and say it's refreshing. It's classless. It was. It really is. It's, why did he need to kick that he dog He just had to go down? on the field and win all his games, no, and hey, it would have been very clear the, what the problem this, was This is what year. happened. When you're so insecure, uh, I never thought that I would agree with Aaron Rodgers. I was going to say, did you ever anything. think that did you ever think anything. that anybody could make Aaron Rodgers look good to you? Well, I'm going to have ayahuasca next apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, he's right about this though. If you're so insecure that you had to kick somebody else just so you look better, why? It it's just a classless act and it's from a guy who by all accounts has a ton of class, who is respected within all organizations, by players and coaches alike. And for some reason, he felt so insecure about his own team and what might 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 happen this year that he's going to sit there and try to make himself better by saying the coach last year was the wor- did one of the worst coaching jobs ever. Okay, and it's true. He did I was going to say, he didn't he say did. anything that wasn't truthful. But, but, but again, you don't have to kick a dog when it's down. You and, just don't. No, and again, if he just would have gone in and won... Mm-hmm. It would have all spoken for itself as to what the problem and was. And if he lost, it's still on him. Yes. You're the coach. You're getting paid oodles of money because you're a genius. Go be a genius. You were a genius. It, what? You went to the union Wiley game. Wiley Coyote? With, you went to the union game with your son last night. And? It was a perfect night for soccer. You saw uh, some penalty Wait, 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 wait. It was football. raining. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't hot. It, it was not hot. Oh, you're going to melt in the rain? I by melted the a little. Half, but, but you nice know what? Again. If I melted a little bit, that would have mean I lost some weight, so I would have been good with it. Well, you said it, not me. Yeah. So tell me about what you saw down there. Were you jumping up and down for the penalty kicks? Was I jumping up and down? No, I wasn't jumping up. I did not think they were going to win. After, after those first two penalty kicks, I, I had Andre Blake is usually very good at penalty kicks, and he was just guessing wrong. Like, were, really. And, and, and just so we're clear... The Union won. It was a great game. It's always a great atmosphere. They're a great team by a great coach. There weren't a lot of people there. No, no. My point is they did not win that game. They, the other team lost the game. The two penalty kicks that they missed were not saves by Andre Blake. No, it's over the net. One was over post. and the other one off the post. I, I had anxiety watching that game a lot. Of course you did. I always have anxiety watching the games. Uh, but but the, the, was the real anxiety that if they didn't make that one, that at some point Martinez was going to have to kick? Yes, and then that just wouldn't have gone do, well. Do you, do you know what we did to start the game? We had the over-under on how long before Martinez starts writhing around in, in pain. Normally that's, the that, over-under. And then the yellow card, but say, he wasn't the one of the three yellow cards. on the yellow card yeah. on how long that will take. Uh, we've got about a minute left. Uh, will you be waking up early to watch the Women's World Cup since the na- women's national team have basically lost all their primetime games? Fox has to be pulling their hair out. Why did they lose their primetime game? Because they played so pro- poorly in the early rounds yeah. that instead of playing a team like Jamaica or South Africa or Morocco, right. they have to play Sweden in the next round. So but but is, is, you, is the United States not the main draw in the World Cup? Yes, if you want okay. to wake up at 5 o'clock in no, the morning. No, no, that's not my point. How stupid is, is FIFA, whoever's running this <laughs> thing, that they decided the prime time, the, 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 the one that will be most watched is going to be on first thing in the morning. You could have just stopped with how stupid is FIFA. Well, yes, we I can. mean, that's really like a, a clear... Let's go raid their offices. <laughs> <laughs> that's been done before, too, so don't worry about that.
Uh, will you be waking up to to watch these uh, games? I will try to wake up to watch. Uh, we've had. I, I, I just am worried about them, and I, you know, Carly Lloyd did not give me any sense of confidence, and they did not like Carly oh, Lloyd's critique. Too bad she was merely honest, and she didn't do it in a class. Thought she did life. her job. That's right. And and look. That team she's always means, been honest. It, she has. That team means a lot to her, just like it does the rest of the mm-hmm. women that have kind of built that. And they seem there seems to be a disconnect between this generation of team and, and the prior no, generation. No, there seems to be a, a, there seems to be a sensitivity that they have. They are oversensitive about the very thing that's going on, which is this, this is not a team right now. No, they're, they are and not, they're not rowing in the same direction. They're not, like, it's, it's very confusing. This is, not, this is not the team that we're used to. Any final thoughts before we sign off? That's it. That, uh, look, I still want them to win, but I don't see them winning this World Cup. We will see when you wake up early on Sunday morning to watch it. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.